0: Well, it's been said about this time of year that it is the most wonderful time of the year, and I know a lot of us would agree with that, but it's also been said that this is indeed the most stressful time of the year for people. You have all the the regular anxieties and stresses and all the stuff that you normally have to get done and all the pressures and all that stuff's going on in your life. And then it's been said between Thanksgiving and New Year's that it is just all of that piled on top, all of the additional things, makes it one of the most stressful times and one of the most anxiety-filled times of the year. Doctors, I was reading this in an article the other day that doctors say this that heart attacks go up by fifty percent this time of year, between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. By fifty percent that people are feeling that much stress. And you know, not only is there just all of the extracurricular activities that are that are involved that you're feeling that and you're stressed by the things that are happening in everyday life. But you also it said this that this time of year is perhaps known as the most stressful time of year. Whenever it comes to relationships, that there's a lot of relational stress that's kind of amplified this time of year. As as you, it's compounded in this season, as you as as expectations of family get-togethers. You know, one side of the family has it this way, and another one does it here. And you heard like the guy in the video, "I've got to go here in this place and be with this group of people." And and it also not only is it difficult to coordinate, it can just be pretty difficult when you get together with some family or maybe friends that, you know, you wouldn't normally be getting together with. It can be difficult to navigate through some of those stresses because, you know, everyone has weirdos in their family, if we're all all honest, right? Does anybody have any challenging family members? Would you raise your hands? Raise them high, okay? All right. Many of you do. All right. Those of you that aren't raising your hands, maybe you are the challenging one in your family. I don't know. Okay, but everyone has at least one or ten. Okay, we've all got them. We all have those difficult uh, folks that that we have in our in our get-togethers that we normally wouldn't be spending time with them, but maybe that you are in. And uh, I was reading another article the other day recently by a family uh, therapist, a Christian counselor, and he wrote this about the holidays, and I quote him. He says this in his article. In my relationship counseling practice, the lead up to December is my busiest time of the year as relationships come under strain and couples experience an increase in fighting or singles worry about spending time with their close family members I'm often amazed at the horror stories that I hear about dysfunctional families and all the issues that are raised with the annual get togethers. That's from a professional counselor. So it's a great time of year. There's no doubt. I mean, there's so much to celebrate and we celebrate and we love the festive, you know, things that come with this time of year and being reminded of the incarnation of Christ and All of those things, but but let's just face it. Also, culturally speaking, it really can be the most challenging and stressful time that many people go through. I mean, there's there's times where there's just a lot of brokenness in different families. And and then you're reminded and it's amplified during this time of year. And I was talking to a college buddy of mine the other day, and he was just kind of expressing to me his stress level with all the stuff that's going on, you know, in his everyday life. And then he's talking about all the other stuff. And he said this, he said, I'm wondering if Scrooge wasn't onto something, man, you know, ball humbug whenever it comes to this time of year. So you say, what are we talking about today, Bart? Well, we're continuing in our series. We started a few weeks ago called Shine, where we're talking about finding joy in the midst of uncertainty. Is it even possible to be joyful in all of the uncertainty, in all of the stress, in all of the things that you are battling with in day-to-day life? And, and you know, you have all kinds of circumstantial stress. There's relational stress. There's things not working out according to plan. For those of you that are control freaks and you like everything, to fit in its place all right it's, it's it's rare that that happens and so that amplifies stress even more and, and and so we sing a lot have you noticed we sing a lot about joy this time of year we sing songs like joy to the world and a lot of times it's hard to mouth those words maybe we're not feeling that joy and you know and we don't we can't even really mean it whenever we're singing it oftentimes and We sing a lot about this, but this true lasting joy and maybe the peace that you hear us talk about that passes understanding, if we're honest, it just seems very elusive for many of us, even as Christians. It seems like something that's just unattainable. It seems like something that we just can't seem to happen in our life. Now, the Apostle Paul would talk about this subject in this incredible letter that we've been in called Philippians. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me to the book of Philippians. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna go to chapter two, and we're gonna continue where where Kyle was at last week, and did a great job, and as he always does, and Pastor Randy does the week before, um, while we were on vacation. And so Paul is gonna talk about to these believers that he's writing to. They're believers who are in this town called Philippi. They're new Christians. They're trying to understand more about the Christian walk, and what does that look like, and how do you flesh that out, and is it possible to be joyful? And, and Paul's going to talk about these common possible joy robbers that we all can have in our life. He's going to talk about it really. I mean, he brings these up and we all relate to this book. I think the reason I love this book so much is it's so relatable in my life. And Paul's going to talk about how our plans sometimes don't work out. Things don't work out in our life always the way that we plan for them to work out. We'd like to try to control every aspect of our life, but the reality is is we're not in control, and so plans don't always work out. People, Paul's going to talk about people and how people will always disappoint us. People, and and they, they can even be good people, but they're broken like we are broken. And so they're going to, people will disappoint us. And sometimes people will let us down. Paul's going to talk about that in this book. Paul's going to talk about possessions. And, you know, there's a lot of emphasis this time of year on possessions and material things. And people trying to find happiness through, if we can just make this perfect kind of, of Christmas. And then it often turns into a Griswold kind of Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Where things don't always work out exactly. And man, that movie has a lot of great, a great, uh, you know, uh, things that parallel what we're talking about as well. Okay? And and, and possessions, that aren't going to last. The, 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 we put so much effort into getting all the right presents for maybe our kids. And then within a, a few months, they, you notice that they're discarded and set aside and, you know, and maybe they're broken. I mean, you see what I'm saying? possessions, you're not going to find it through that either. And Paul's going to talk about losing everything for the gospel. He's going to talk about our circumstances and how our circumstances are always changing, right? Jobs change, situations change, people change, our health uh, can change, you know, and situations can be difficult. And Paul was showing these believers in Philippi, that it was indeed possible to have a joy that's unexplainable and a peace that is supernatural because Paul was encountering all of those situations where plans were failing, people were failing, possessions weren't, weren't there anymore, circumstances were changing and shifting. And we've been asking this question. We asked it in the first week. We said, is it really even possible? I mean is this just a bunch of junk or is it really possible to have something that's that's different in our lives that's joyful? Is it is it possible to be different in our lives? And now remember the context of Philippians. You gotta remember it. Okay, because it's one thing for a guy standing up here to be telling you that it's possible to have joy in your life no matter what. And maybe you may be thinking, well, maybe he's not been through what I've been through. And you're right, I haven't, okay? I've got my own set of trials and struggles and problems. And, and for some of you, yours are greater than mine. I don't, I don't dispute that in any kind of way. But see, whenever Paul talks about this, you got to know there's great credibility there. Right? When you know the context of this book, there's great credibility because Paul was in prison when he was writing this. Paul was experiencing all of these different things that we talked about that can be a robber of your peace and your joy in your life. His situation was far from ideal as he was in prison for, for for, for loving Jesus Christ. People had certainly hurt him. His plans hadn't worked out. He lost all of his possessions, as he would talk about that in chapters three and four. We'll get to in the coming weeks. We said in the first week of our series that if anybody had a reason for being a bitter, angry old man or or person who's just an angry person, if anybody had a reason, I would tell you this. Paul had a reason because his life had had really externally had fallen apart. If anybody had a reason to be bitter and angry towards people, Paul certainly had a reason. So you see, he's got some credibility when he talks about joy. I may not have as much as as others do, but Paul has credibility. We also said this, and I want you to think about this with me. Every person that walks in these doors today, every person has been hurt by this world in some kind of way. Every person in this place has been hurt by somebody Every person has been hurt by some things. Some of you, again, more than others. Every person who walks in this place can choose to be bitter and miserable if you want to. Do you know that, right? Every one of you can. I can. You can choose that. Again, I'm not minimizing in this series that you're going through problems. You are. Paul's not trying to minimize that you have struggles in your life. You do. Okay, but what Paul is saying is that because of the gospel, there's something that's been made available to you to to just really anchor you in this time that you're in in your life. If you want to be bitter, though, you can be bitter and you can live your life as a bitter individual. And I've seen that happen in individuals over and over again. And I've seen and I've watched people go to their deathbed as bitter people. And I know that there are great regrets that they have in their lives whenever they make that choice. But as Christians, God, whenever he saves you, doesn't just zap you automatically up to heaven. I know we wish that he would, but he oftentimes doesn't. He doesn't do that. 99.99% of the time after you're saved, he leaves you here for a reason. And He has you here to to shine in this darkness, in this culture of darkness that is all around us, in this culture of anxiety and fear and depression. God has you here, Christian, to be different, to show that you can be different, that it's possible to have something different in your life. Now, this is something that I think is so important for us as Christians to remember. We need to remember that, that, that all of the stresses and all the anxieties and the pressures and the struggles and the letdown and the hurt and all of that stuff, and, and all of that stuff that you, that you deal with, and you do deal with that, and I deal with that, we need to remember this as Christians, that our community is filled with people who are going through all of that, that are going through all of that brokenness. Your neighbors are going through it. The people that you work with that You know, uh, are going through it. The people where you go to school, they're going through all of that. Now, here's the major difference. The reality is, is that a vast majority of them, though, as they're going through all of that, they don't have any hope because they've not met Jesus Christ yet in a real way. So I want you to think about about that, how different their lives really are and and how different our lives really should be because we know Jesus Christ. Uh, We as believers, we go through the same kinds of things because we're... I mean, it it says this, that the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Amen? It falls on both. But we're all going to go through the same kinds of things. But what, what Paul is saying in this great book is that we can be different because we can have a hope in jesus christ we can have peace in jesus that's found not in religion it's not found in how often you come and you go through the acts of religion it's found in a real and thriving relationship with a person of jesus christ We as Christians, we may not have a choice in some of the tough and the bad things that happen to us. But what Paul would show us is that we certainly have a choice in our response. We have a choice in how we're going to respond and react. And that's why Paul, while he was in chains, could write things like this with great credibility. I want you to read it with me out loud in Philippians 4. Now we're going to be in chapter 2, but this is why Paul could write stuff like this. He would write this. Read it with me out loud. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, Paul says, rejoice. Now, what's the first word in that sentence there? Always. So what does that mean? Yeah, always. It means exactly what it says. Always in all things. Now, being joyful, as we said, as we did a theology of joy in the first week of this, and if you missed it, you can go listen online. That's not sitting around with a big, fake, plastic smile as if everything is all perfect in your life and pretending and living in denial about the challenges in your life. That's not what we're saying to do. We're not saying you need to move into denial, okay, and act as if everything's good. We ask them, everything okay in your life? Yeah, man, everything's great, and their life's falling apart, right? That's not joy, okay? That, that, you know, that's that's not what we're talking about here. It's a deeper thing that's going on inside of us, all right, where he says always be full of joy. It's not sitting around kind of giggling, you know, hysterically about all the bad things that are happening to you, all right? If that's happening, you've got other issues, all right? That's not what he's talking about, but he says always Always, it means in all circumstances, at any time in your life, he says, no matter what seasons, and we all go through different seasons, some of you are in a good season right now, you need to be joyful and thankful for that. Some of you are in a a difficult season right now, and what Paul is saying is, yes, indeed, this is an exercise of your faith, but you need to be joyful and even thankful in that. Because in other places, he's going to say, give thanks in all circumstances. What? What? Is, I mean, is he, is he serious? I think he is. And he's going to show us that it's possible by him living his life, living it out. Is it even possible? We asked in the, in the first weeks, is it even possible to be joyful in all circumstances? I mean, it seems so unattainable to us. We discovered in our, our first week that true joy, it isn't that fake plastic smile, but there's something deeper that's going on in your heart. There's something deeper that's happening within you. It's something that's real. It's not synthetic. It's something that God Himself is producing in you, the believer, as you participate with Him in yielding to Him. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. As you're cooperating with Him in trusting Him in this season, and you're discovering that God indeed does have a plan, even in my problems, God does have a purpose, even in my struggles. So I want to encourage you today that if you're feeling that overwhelmed kind of feeling and maybe you're just struggling or maybe you hate your job or maybe you, you're stressed about family situations or your marriage is, is going through a rough spot. I want to encourage you to take some notes today as the Lord speaks to you, and maybe you want to tack these notes up this season, especially as it gets stressful. Tack them up on the refrigerator, right? That's a place where we a lot of times visit. At least I do when I'm stressed. Okay, tack it up there. Be reminded. Some of you are stress eaters, and so that's a good place to put it. Okay. Some of you put it in your put it in your restroom as you're getting ready in the morning. You've got to saturate your mind with these truths. Okay. Maybe this year, maybe this year, uh, our, our Christmas lights at our houses won't be the brightest. Things shining in our neighborhoods. Maybe it'll be us. Maybe, in spite of whatever season it is that you're going through, maybe, just maybe, this Christmas season, although your life may be falling apart externally, maybe this season you will experience a joy and a peace like you have never known before in your life. Wouldn't you love to have that? Well, that's what Paul's talking about in this great book. He talks about how to have this. He talks about and and, and the difference that he really that Christ really makes in our lives when it comes to actually having joy no matter what. And so let's let's pick up in chapter two now. I want to just kind of recap just very quickly uh, what Kyle preached on, and I won't preach his message, but I want to recap the passage that he that he preached from last week to give us context for where we're going today. Okay, I want to read this in the message. Okay, and you can follow up there uh, if you like up on the screen, but this is what Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 1 and I won't read every bit of what Kyle read last week, but let me just hit a few key verses okay? He says this, and I want you to listen because remember he's talking to Christians so he's talking to us today, those who are Christ followers. If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ he's talking to Christians, Christ followers well that's a really powerful way to start what he wants to say if you've gotten anything out of this If it's more than just you going through the motions and checking in maybe on a on a Sunday morning and then checking out of your faith the rest of the week, Paul's saying, he's saying if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, that's what you need to start asking yourself right now: Is He made a difference in my life? Am I different? Do I handle things differently than a non-believer handles them because of Jesus Christ? If His love has made any difference in your life... Now look at what he's going to say next. If being in a community of the Spirit, that means a good church where you're you're a part of the body of Christ, you're involved with other Christians, you're not just this lone ranger kind of Christian out there, you are made to do life with other people... If being in a community of the life uh, of this uh, a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then Paul's going to say, then do me a favor. Now look at what he's going to say. If you want, remember, these are keys to joy. If you want to have joy in your life and you want to start cultivating it, he's going to start showing you how to do that. He's going to start showing you your part of cultivating joy and peace in your life. He's going to start showing us right here. He's going to say, if, if God's made any kind of difference in your life, if you, he's, going to, he's going to say, you've got to, he says, do me this favor. Agree with each other. He's talking to a church, remember? Love each other and be deep-spirited friends. He's talking about striving for unity. He's saying, church, if you're going to be joyful, we know that relationships can be one area that robs us of our joy quicker than anything else. So he's going to say this. He's going to say, you gotta, you got to be patient with each other. you got to agree with each other. That doesn't mean you agree about every single thing, but it means you're not always disagreeable. It means you're not always argumentative. It means you're not looking for a fight. It means this, that you are, you are in unity with the body of Christ, with other Christians. And he's going to say this. He, he, he says right here, he says, he says, love each other. And we know that love can mean all kinds of deeper things. It's patient. It's kind. It's, it's not easily angered. And then he says, be deep spirited friends. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you got you to work at unity. You know what church? Unity does not just automatically happen in a church. You've got to work at it. You've got to exercise it. You've got to practice forgiveness. You've got to practice overlooking faults of others. He's saying if, if Christ has made any kind of difference in your life, and if you want to experience some joy and some peace, then you're going to have to work at unity. You're going to have to work at it. It doesn't just happen naturally. If you want to experience joy and peace, you're going to have to work at, 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 at overlooking some of the flaws of some of your family members that you're about to experience this Christmas, right? You're going to have to work at it, he says. It doesn't just happen. And he's going to say that that happens through humility. So joy comes through unity. Joy begins to happen whenever you practice out your humility before Christ. Here's the practical way. He says, if you want to know how to how to gain unity, this is how he's going to say to do it right here. Look at what he says. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Now, here he's going to give you a formula for joy to begin to be cultivated in your life. Put yourself aside. Whoa. I mean, what are we most prone to do in our culture? Me first. What's good for me? What's good for me, what's good only for me, I focus completely and totally on my set of problems. I focus completely on me. I am the center of my universe, you know, and and everything revolves around me and my set of problems. And Paul says that is a recipe for uh, a miserable kind of life. But he says, if you want to know how to have joy, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. You know, I find this whenever I'm feeling depressed, that whenever I will make a conscious effort to try to help another person, it helps me. I start feeling better. Whenever I get my eyes off of my problems and I start serving another person and I start recognizing that other people are going through things too. And maybe I pray for somebody or maybe I'm lifting another person up or maybe I meet a need. He says, don't, he, he tells us this, put yourself aside, help others get ahead. I think it's interesting. He says, don't be obsessed. And we become obsessed with getting our own way. Don't become so obsessed with getting your advantage or or it all being about you. That is a recipe for misery and peacelessness and, and joyless kind of living. He's going to tell you, you want to know how to have joy? Forget about yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. He says, put yourself aside a little bit. Begin to put yourself aside. Start thinking about others. You remember we've been saying about joy. We, we did this in the first week that if you want to know how to have joy, I heard another pastor put it this way, that joy starts with Jesus Christ in our lives. It starts with Jesus. And then if you want to have joy, it, it, then it moves to others, okay? It moves to others. And then it moves to yourself, okay? If you want to know how to cultivate that, you've got to put yourself last, You've got to begin to sacrifice. And he's going to say, if you want to know what that looks like. And again, this goes counter to our culture. Amen. It's counter cultural. And that's why it works. Because I don't know if you've noticed anything about our culture. It's pretty broken. Because it's all flipped the other way where it's all about me. It's all about myself. It's all about my problems. And he's saying, you've got to flip it. You've got to flip this in your life. It's got to be about Jesus first. It's got to be about others next in your life. That could be your family members that you're serving, and then yourself. Paul's going to say, and if you want to know what that looks like, look at what he's going to say in verse 5. Think of yourselves. You've got to start thinking of yourself this way. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. So he's going to give us a great example. He's going to say, think about Jesus long enough. Think about him for a few minutes, and it's a great thing for us to be reminded of this time of year about the incarnation of Christ and the humbling experience that Christ went through, who being fully God, came down, made himself one of us, took upon himself our sins, lived a humble life before us, and he's saying, think of Jesus. Now look at verse, skip on down, he says in verse 7, he didn't claim special privileges, and he certainly had them because he was God. He didn't claim them. He didn't use them. He denied himself. Instead, it says he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless and obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, he talks about it, a crucifixion. We don't have time to talk about the, uh, you know, the humiliation of crucifixion. But it, it was the most humiliating way that a person could die. It was a death for a criminal. That the God of the universe humbled himself into... And so Paul is saying, for, for um, our sakes, Christ became nothing. And, all, and he's saying in chapter 2, basically, he's saying, if you have gotten, Christ's follower, anything out of following Jesus, if he's made any kind of difference in your life, if he's truly made this difference, and you want to begin to experience joy and peace, God makes it possible in your life, then this is going to need to happen in your life. It's going to have to be Jesus, others, and then yourself you you can't continue to be the center of your universe the big key is you realize that 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 he says put yourself aside the big key is that he says forget about yourself a little bit paul is saying the keys to joy are found in dying to self in dying to your wants in dying to self it's not saying your problems aren't real. It's not going to a place of denial. It's just in God trusting that he is working in this as we'll read in just a second, okay? He's saying if you want to know the, the keys to being more like Christ, okay? Let's think about what Christ was like. You got the keys to joy are humility. It's selflessness. It's being loving. It's being peaceable. It's being obedient to the father because he said he lived a selfless, obedient life. He was obedient to the father. Not my will, but your will. Remember that? Okay. And but but which this would suggest this, the prescription for a miserable life, which many of us, we are we already know how to do that. The prescription for a miserable life would be to think only of yourselves would be to think only about your problems, would be to be consumed with all the problems that you do have, and indeed you do have them, to let those, you know, run and dictate what happens in your life, to be self-absorbed, to be ungracious, to be unforgiving, to be disobedient to God. That is a a prescription for a miserable, joyless, peaceless kind of life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to flip it. You've got through God's power, flip this. And so, uh, you know, just think only about yourself. Now, Paul is going to begin to talk about our spiritual growth. He's going to begin to talk about how God begins to work in our problems. How God is not just about making you comfortable, but God, because he loves you, is about developing your character. He's making you to be more like His Son, Jesus. That's part of the process of what's called sanctification. I'm going to explain that in a second, okay? That's a big theological term, but it's not too difficult for us to grasp. It's it's this process that God is making us more like Jesus as we are already saved, okay? And so He's going to start talking about how how God wants to grow you and how God begins to do this in your life. In Philippians chapter 2, and let's pick up in verse 12. Now I'm reading in the NLT. he's going to say this, dear friends, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Now, look at what he's going to begin to say. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Okay, so the big question is this. A lot of us with this is a big question. What is it in your life that you just absolutely can't stand about yourself? You know that you just want to see change. You want to see change in your life you don't like this about yourself maybe it's that you get you you lose your your temper easily at this, especially this time of year and you take it out on everybody else maybe you're just that person that's just completely totally overwhelmed all the time and you're just filled with anxiety um, you know there are all kinds of things maybe you're just you know m- m- ready to fight all the time this time of year especially what is it that you want to see changed in your life maybe there's some addiction or something that's going on there that you don't like about yourself what is it that you want to change and here's the big question how does life change happen how does it begin to happen Uh, people will say different things about about life change people when they say jesus changed my life what exactly does that mean is, does God just come and just all of a sudden zap you and now you're completely, totally sanctified and you're completely, totally holy and and now you're completely changed and there's not any work that needs to be done in your life? Is that what happens to us? Does God just take us to heaven automatically? No, he takes us through a process. Okay? All right. How does how does it happen? Some people say we just got you got to wait upon the Lord. And that's a passive approach. And there's truth in that, that God does work in your life. And you, you need to wait upon him and be patient. Other people say, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to be up to me. You know, if it's up to me, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's an activist viewpoint. So the question is, what am I supposed to do? Which one's right? I would tell you this, that they're both right. And they work together. You'll see in the scriptures that they work together. It's a combination. My joy and my peace is going to come through God doing something in me and me working along with him in that and participating and cooperating with him. And so he's going to say this, work hard. Notice he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. The way that actually translates is work out your salvation. Now, I want you to hear something. He doesn't say work for your salvation. For we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For we are saved by grace through faith, you know, through Jesus Christ. It is not by works. It is the gift of God not by works, lest any man boast, okay? He says, work out your salvation. In other words, what he's saying is, put into practice the salvation that God has offered you by grace, that free gift of salvation that God has given you. You begin to work this out. Paul's pushing these believers. Do you know what he's pushing them toward? He's pushing them towards spiritual responsibility for their own lives. What did he say? He said, I'm not able to be there with you right now. I may never come back again, Paul says. All of your joy and all of your peace, if it was found in me just producing that for you, he's saying this, you've got to, you know what in essence he's saying? You've got to grow up. That's what Paul's saying to these Christians. You've got to start growing for yourself. You got to take responsibility it may not a pastor can come alongside you and help you and mentor you and give you good words to grow by but at some point Paul's saying if you want to have joy and peace in your life you've got to take responsibility for it. You've got to start cultivating that for yourself in your life. Work out your salvation is what he's saying here. Not work for your salvation. We obtain, attain that salvation as a gift, all right? There's. right? I've, I've preached on this before, but I want to just quickly just tell you about this again for those of you that maybe are new. There are three parts of our salvation. There's what is called justification. That is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are then justified, which means this that you have been made just as if you've never sinned. Your sin is transferred to Jesus. His righteousness is transferred to your account. You are now the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is past tense. It's already happened. Okay? You have been saved. You are, Paul says it this way, sealed in Jesus Christ. You have been adopted into His family. He used the word adopted because in this culture, you couldn't be unadopted. You have been born again. You can't be unborn. Okay. You have been justified. And so you have been saved. Now there's a second part of your salvation that is called sanctification. And that is what's happening for a Christian right now. You are currently being saved. It's a process that God takes you through as He's making you into the character of Jesus Christ. He's making you to be more of Jesus. And that, and that requires your participation with God as we'll read about in a second. Now, there's a third part of our salvation that we've not experienced yet. It's called glorification, and it will happen one day. We will be saved. We will get to go to heaven. Praise God. Amen. We will have a brand new body, and everyone said amen, right? We will be saved, okay? So what's already happened? Your salvation where you've been justified. What's currently happening? You are being saved right now. He's saying work that out, okay? And you will be saved. That's called glorification. Okay, working it out is this realization of the power of God that is available to you to change your life, that God can bring about life change if you will participate with him. Paul was saying you've received this gift of grace that you didn't have to work for. And it's it's almost like this. It's like God has given you this great gold mine and it's filled with all of these nuggets of gold Okay, you're in possession of the gold mine, which is is your eternity is secured in him. But all of the nuggets of gold like peace and joy and all these other things, you got to mine those things out. You got to work those things out you got to participate with God and work out your salvation. God not only, listen, he not only wants to save you, uh, you know, in the sense where you have uh, uh, salvation, where you've been justified, and not only wants to save you where you're going to get to go to heaven one day. Praise the Lord, we're going to get to go to heaven one day. That gives us perspective. But you know what? God also has something for you right now. He has something for you now. He said, I want my people to be filled with my joy and my peace. I want them to live a full and abundant life. When? Now. Well, then my circumstances have got to get better. They may not. So does that mean you check out? Or is this when you go to work with God? You go to work with Him in this time. You begin to work out your salvation. God wants you to have this joy and this peace now. Life may be hard, but you can still have the gold nuggets of peace and joy. Anybody in here, does anybody uh, exercise? Lift your hands up, okay? I know it's a form of exercise. Lift your hands. More of you need to lift your hands. Lift your hands, people. Do you exercise, okay? What do we call exercising? I got to go get my workout in, right? Now you don't work out to gain possession of a body. Some of you might, and we need to talk, all right? All right. You, you work out not to like to actually have a physical body. When you work out, what are you doing? You are working out what you already have. You're working out to enhance the body that you have. And that's what the language is being used, is you're working it out. You're working out this salvation that you already possess. You're you're working it out to the fullest extent that God wants you to have this. Because he has, listen, heaven is awesome. It's going to be incredible. I'm just trying to tell you, and Paul's trying to tell you, God has something for you right now. You don't have to feel completely hopeless right now and only be thinking ahead to heaven, God has peace for you now. God has joy for you now. And you know, it's not even only just for you. Do you know why he has it for you? It's because there's other people in your life that need to see it in you. They need to see it, that it's alive. They need to see that it's possible. They need to see that you can shine in the midst of all of the darkness. And so he's going to say things like this. Now, this is your part and his part. Look at verse 13. That was your part where he says, work it out. Verse 13, For and this should give you some hope because I know you may be feeling pressure like, i got to make it all happen. No, you don't. Look at God's part. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the What does he say? Power. Does God give you power for life change? That's what it says. Either it's true or it's not. Right? Either it's true or it's not. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. What pleases Him is that you live a fruitful life for Him with peace and joy. Because that speaks louder often than your words. When people see something different in you in the midst of your, con, your, your your struggles and your conflicts. And this is God's part. God gives us the power. You work it out, but notice it says God is working in. He's working in. That, that word that this was originally, or the language it was written in, is the word energeo. And what the word means, it means energy. It's where we get our word energy. God's giving you the energy to do it. God's giving you the desire to do it. God will give you the power to do it. That's His part. He's working in you, but you got to work it out. you got to bring these things together. God, Let me just give you a couple of things just very quick. God's part and our part in life change. God's part, you know what He uses oftentimes? He uses the Bible. He will use the Bible in your life to bring about life change. God has given us all the Scripture. Look at what it says. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and we need that, right? And teaches us to do what is right. Now look at verse 17. God uses it, in fact, read it with me out loud, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. What does he give you? He gives you the word of God. That's his part. The Bible, what does it do for us? It gives us perspective, right? We're reminded this isn't all that there is. Praise the Lord. We're reminded of things like this, that God is at work. It gives you perspective. Now, what's your part in it? Is your part to write the scriptures? No, they've already been written. What is your part? Your part is to read it. God's not going to force it upon you. Christian. You've got to cultivate it in your life. You've got to value the word of God so much in your life that you realize that this is what brings about life change, that I'm going to do whatever it takes day in and day out to saturate my mind with the word of God, because let me tell you something, you are being saturated every single day with negativity. You're being saturated with darkness. It is all around you. It's, it's, it comes at you every single... So you need, to, you need to purpose. You know, even when you don't feel like it. It's like a workout. We don't often feel like doing it. But, but after we do it, we're glad. We're glad. I did something good for myself. I did something that's going to help me. I'm working out. I'm working it out what I know I should be doing within, okay? And so he's saying, so your part is to choose to read it. You don't get spiritually mature by osmosis. You must work it out, is what he says. You made a good choice today coming to hear the word of God proclaimed. That was a good choice, okay, because God's working something in you through that. You participated with God when he led you here today. You're working it out when you get in a life group and you talk with other believers about the word of God and and you you're working that out when you get a reading plan and you're you're doing that. You're working it out as you're saturating yourself with the word of God. That's just one of the ways that he uses uh, that he brings change in our life. That's God's. God and us working together. They are all choices that we make to work it out. Okay, how how else does he work in our lives? He works through his Holy Spirit, okay, to bring change in our lives. God puts his Holy Spirit in us. The moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells and lives within you. He comes inside and He takes up residence within your life. That's God's part. The power of the Holy Spirit comes and indwells every believer. Look at Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now say the next part with me. Where does He live? He lives in you. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that? that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is a power that resides within you as a believer. That's what it says. Either it's true or it's not. Are you you with me today? Either it's true or it's not. And if it's not, we need to pack up and go home. Either it's true or it's not. Where he says that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He will give life to your mortal bodies. By this same spirit living within you, God brings the power into your life. The Holy Spirit is God himself who takes up residency within you. Now, what is our part? That's God's part. What's our part? We as a Christian, because he has given us the ability to choose, we must choose to die to self. We must choose when the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something. And you know when he is, you have to choose to obey him. You have to choose to not just do your way, but to do the Spirit's way. You have to choose. Look at what he says in verse 6. If you were to skip up to verse 6, you've got to yield to the Spirit. So look at what he says in verse 6. So letting your sinful nature, do you see it's an action. We let our sinful nature oftentimes control our mindset. So letting your sinful nature, because remember, he's talking to Christians, control your your sinful nature, control your mind. What does that lead us to? Death. It leads us to negativity. It leads us to joylessness. It leads us to a lack of peace and anxiety and stress and all that. Letting your sinful nature. But look at what he says. But letting or yielding to the spirit. Letting the spirit control your mind. Read it with me, church. What does he say? What does that lead to? Life and what? Do you believe it? He's made it available. He's working it out in your life right now. He's working it in as you, but you must work it out. You work and participate with Him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know we don't like to hear this. You know God's number one goal in your life? You ain't going to like it. It's not for you just to be happy right now. Are you ready to throw rocks at me? It's not for you just to be happy See, that's all our world, and 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 people that don't know Christ—that's all they want—is just happiness right now. Happiness right now. God has something bigger that's working in you. It's not just happiness. Do you know what it is? It's your holiness. It's not your comfort. Do you know what it is? It's character. He's working it in you. He's working in you, but you got to work with him in this. He's not just going to zap you and make you peace filled. You got to cultivate it. He's not just going to zap you and all of a sudden you're just all joyful. You got to work at it some with him. The great thing is that he even makes it possible. Amen. That changes everything. He makes it possible. You know what else he uses? Sometimes whenever whenever he uh, can't get our attention with a word and he can't get our attention with his Holy Spirit, sometimes he uses this. He uses circumstances. I would say for most of us, this is what he uses maybe more than anything else because I'm just being honest about myself. I'm a little thick-headed. And you know, look at what he's going to say about this. Romans 8, 28. I love this. And we know there's a confidence there. You're walking with confidence. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. It doesn't say everything is good because it's not. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them Now, look, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. That's sanctification. That's you are being saved right now. Okay, there's nothing that could come into the life of a believer without God's permission. Nothing. Nothing. He's sovereign over all things. He doesn't say all things are good, but in his sovereignty, it says because God is all powerful, God can use it all for good in our lives. There's a divine pattern at work there. You say, well, where are my problems coming from? Did I cause them? Sometimes, more times than not, we do. Did the devil cause them? Sometimes he does. He certainly comes at us and can attack us. Does he cause all of our problems? No, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? Does God cause them? Sometimes God does. Out of love, he disciplines his children when we need it sometimes, right? The, the point is that it doesn't necessarily matter what the source is. It's that we recognize that no matter what the source is, is that in faith we trust that God and his sovereignty can use everything in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Everything. That's our God can use anything that you're going through, even if you caused it. You know what that means? God can use your mistakes. Say, I blew it, man. We all do. But God, because He's God, can use our mistakes. God can work in them. You know, the devil inflicts something upon you. Think about what happened to Joseph and what did Joseph end up saying. He recognized the hand of God. What men meant for evil in my life. God caused for good. God is sovereign. God is at work. There were times when, you know, think about this, when Jesus was lonely. There were times when Jesus was tempted. Times when Jesus was depressed to get angry or blow up and be impatient. And God allowed Jesus to go through those kinds of things. Why in the world would we think that we would be spared from that? How are we ever going to know what it is like to be like Jesus if we don't also understand the suffering? And understand that God is still good. He's more interested in your character than your comfort. Our our circumstances are often a huge way that God brings life change. Because you know what I've discovered about myself? I often don't change just because I see the light. But I most often will change when I feel the heat. Are you with me? It takes something to, to bring life change. You know, I don't have time to go into this, but that's a big reason that I went through life change in my physical body and losing weight is because of the experience that our family went through in the loss of my brother in law. Brought about life change. The heat. Was it good? No. Can God work good? Yes. You see what I'm saying? This is what God does. All right? God's part, our part. Here's your takeaway, okay? The takeaway, key thought. God works in life change. He does his part and we yield to him and we do our part. By God's power, this is your key thought. By God's power working in me and my choice to work it out. You have a choice. I can be joyful and at peace in all circumstances, knowing confidently that God is using all things to make me more like his son. God is at work. It's possible. That's why Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I say it again, either it's true or it's not. And that's what he's saying. James would say this, dear brothers and sisters, which would say, who is he talking to Christians, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great what joy? Does that mean there's joy every time? No, he says it's an opportunity for joy. An opportunity for joy. For you know, there's confidence there, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, okay? That's going to talk about, that's glorification. That's one day, all right? When it is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete that's glorification, needing nothing. But right now, you've not experienced glorification. You're going through sanctification. The process right now. It's a process. You're born again, but you've got to work out the implications. You've got to develop it, okay? Listen, Here's we'll close with this, all right? You cannot choose what happens to you tomorrow, this next week, this next month, and this next year. You don't have any you don't have any control over it we don't but what Paul is saying right here is as a Christ follower you and I we do have a choice in what our response to that hardship will be and it's possible to have joy and peace because of God's power that is at work within us but I got to do my part. I got to cooperate. What's my part? It's to have faith. Listen, you got a choice to make. You can let whatever you're going through, you can let it make you, as they say, or break you. You can become, as they say, bitter, or you can get what? Better. You can let whatever it is you're going through be a stepping stone to, to God doing something great in your life, or it can be a stumbling block, That's why there are always two different kinds of people. They go through the same exact thing, but some people, they get stronger, and other people, they never recover. God wants to work in you. You see, it changes so much in me when I realize that my problems, they are not without purpose. Right? It's not pointless. God's doing something. I want to ask you just to pray with me now. Okay? Okay? Paul would write, let me just read this verse over you. Just listen to it, okay? Paul would write, this doesn't mean, of course, that we have only a hope of future joys. That's what's going to happen when you go to heaven one day. That's great. But listen to what he says. Listen to it and just drink this in right now. We can be full of joy, he says, here and now. Even in our trials and troubles, Taken in the right spirit, these very things will give us patient endurance. This is in turn will develop a mature character. And a character of this sort produces a steady hope. Steady hope. It takes you through whatever. Steady hope. A hope that will what? Never disappoint us. Doesn't mean you won't be disappointed with circumstances of life. But you're different. You can be different. You don't have to minimize what you're going through. Embrace it and understand that God is using it. Would you just, right now, just begin in these closing moments, giving God, let's all give God an opportunity just to bring to mind whatever it is that we're dealing with today. Would you bring it to Him in worship and in prayer? You're going to have to make some choices in your response of the difficulties you're facing. This is your opportunity to put into practice and apply what you've heard from the word today. Let me pray for us. Father, every person here has some issue in their life. Lord, that is it's a challenge. It's painful. We're all broken. We all have difficulties for some. Lord, it's a financial brokenness this morning they're struggling with. For some, it's a job situation. For others, it's their health that is deteriorating. These broken bodies, Lord. For others, it's relationship issues. It's maybe a marriage problem. For some, it's a situation with a child. For some, it's an addiction that's kicking their tail, Lord. Some have a crushed dream. We bring all of these things to you today in faith. And right now with me, brothers and sisters, can we release them to Him? Release, we release the control of them into your hands. Knowing in faith, God, that you are working in us to will and to act according to your good purpose. And we trust right now, although we can't see it, we trust that you can use these things to make us more like Jesus. Lord, we need your strength to let go. We need your strength to to embrace you, to begin to turn our stress and our sorrow and our struggle over to you and instead to receive your peace. May your peace begin to settle upon your people right now. May they have a confidence that you're working in our lives so that we can shine for you this year, Lord. Just release those things to Him. I want to ask you to stand in the last thing we're going to do today. Is we're going to just sing a song where we declare our hope to God. Just Danny's just going to take us through a, a verse or a chorus. It's not long. we got to get out of here because there's another service. But would you make this a song of worship to God? I would say this, if you need prayer, this altar is open. We want to pray for you. If you'd like to come forward, if you'd like to remain seated, this is a time of worship and prayer. Whatever the Lord leads you, if you want to sit, sit. If you want to come and pray at the altar, pray. If you need a pastor to pray with you, we're here. But let's just begin to just worship Him and make this our response.